It's Muppeturgy, with a very rangy episode about the Roy Rogers and Dale Evans episode of The Muppet Show. Yay! <laughs> oh, we're off to a possibly decent start. Was that supposed to be a yodel, Michal? I was trying. Yeah, it's... Listen, I've been trying to yodel all day. You're just tired. That's that's what that was. I mean, yeah, that's how we're You're doing. You all yodeled out. I'm... <laughs> Anyway, welcome back, everyone. I'm David Levy. Here today with me are... Christy Bauer. Adam Grossworth. And Michal Richardson. I didn't say it before, but we are still, indeed, glad to have you with us. Here is a Muppet News Flash. We are here this week to talk about Season 3, Episode 22 of The Muppet Show. It was produced the week of January 23rd, 1979. And it aired in New York on May 21st, 1979. It was number 23 in the air order uh, in between Roger Miller and Lynn Redgrave, same as it was in the production order. In the news, 12 Texas state senators have fled the Capitol, denying the Senate a quorum in an attempt to kill a bill that would establish an early state presidential primary favorable to the state's conservative Democrats. And this is very embarrassing to the Texas state rangers. (laughs) I love this story. <laughs> we'll is this put a what the movie it. Kill Bill is about? <laughs> womp womp. Uh, apparently they were really trying to stop Ronald Reagan from getting <laughs> the Republican nomination. So actually, I'm all for it. Um, yeah. The details of the story are wild. I will get into them, but we'll put a link in the show notes. But like the Rangers arrested the brother of one of the senators who they mistakenly thought was him. He was wearing a t-shirt. They had T-shirts made, like supporting <laughs> the the hiding senators. It's bonkers. Oh my gosh! I love it. A Soviet scientist says ocean site may be Atlantis. No, sure. that's I have even less patience for people who look for Atlantis than I have for people who look for Bigfoot. You would think in Soviet Union Atlantis would find you. <laughs> <laughs> what a country. Uh, costs at some universities will rise, much like the sea waters over Atlantis, above $9,000 this year, survey finds. Bummer. Yeah, that would be $36,280 in today's money or in 2022's money, because we can't do that inflation calculator for this year yet. Uh, the actual cost of Harvard currently is $52,600. I looked it up, so do with that what you will. The food column uh, in this week's New York Times is about the uh, exotic fruit jicama, which I thought was kind of funny. They had to explain it. Uh, and there's an article about the 20th anniversary of the Lincoln Center groundbreaking, uh, and mostly that people are really mad about the architecture that that is surrounding Lincoln Center, um, which is mostly relevant to our interest because uh, one of the buildings across the street from Lincoln Center, one Lincoln Plaza, is where the Sesame Workshop offices are to this day. On the Cashbox pop charts, the number one song is Reunited by Peaches and Herb. And it feels so good. And the number one album is Breakfast in America by Supertramp. The movie and theater sections of the Times are usually pretty thin, I assume because The Muppet Show aired on Monday nights, and so they just didn't bother buying much ad space because, you know, people don't go to the movies on Monday nights, and Broadway is traditionally dark. But some things caught my eye on the movie page this week. Uh, Mostly the theatrical release of the Battlestar Galactica TV movie slash pilot, uh, which was right next to ads for The Deer Hunter and Manhattan. There's a triple feature for you. There's also an ad for the movie of Hair, 
which uh, also made me look that up. And it was released on March 15th, 1979. Um, so it's hanging around in theaters for a while. Remember when movies used to do that? And that uh, might have something to do with why Aquarius, Let the Sunshine In were on The Muppet Show this season, because they were uh, refreshed by the movie version coming out. On television, I think it's probably still sweeps because we got a weird lineup. Uh, on CBS, uh, right after The Muppet Show, at least if you're in New York, The Body Human, The Sexes, uh, this is, I guess, part of a series of documentary films. This one from the listing, a, a documentary on human sexuality from prenatal infancy to advanced age, focusing on four real people facing breakdowns in their internal sexual systems. Viewer discretion is advised. I feel like human sexuality meant something different in 1979 than it means today. It sounds like it's more to do with human sexual function. Right. Than, than, yeah, than like gender and and orientation and all that. I looked up to try to get more information on this and find out what breakdowns in their internal sexual systems meant, and I, I, I couldn't. So there you go. Did, did you look it up to see if it's available to stream? You know, here's the thing. The body human, the sexes. <laughs> Real bad SEO. So, uh, no, I was much more interested in uh, trying to find, and sadly succeeding, <laughs> the show that followed it, Blind Ambition. Amidst mounting implications of the Watergate break-in, John and Maureen Dean carry on a tumultuous romance and finally get married. What? <laughs> <laughs> This was a four-part miniseries that aired on CBS from May 20th, 1979 to May 23rd, 1979, focusing on the Watergate cover-up and based on the memoirs of former White House counsel John Dean and his wife Maureen. And again, I say, what? (laughs) Uh, It starred Martin Sheen, a very young Martin Sheen as John Dean, Rip Mm -hmm. Torn as Nixon, (laughs) William Daniels as G. Gordon Liddy. I thought you were going to say John Adams. I I just... (laughs) I mean... Oh Does no! He sing in this? John Adams and Wait everything. for it. We'll get there. Uh, weirdly, in this, G. Gordon Liddy is a car. He's a Pontiac Trans Am. It's super strange. Wait, does he sing though? No. Oh. Um, I mean, maybe I didn't get very far. Uh, Christopher Guest is also in this as someone I never heard of. Um, is Corky he Saint Clair. Exactly. <laughs> um, I tried to watch. Says, it. You're all bastard people. <laughs> <laughs> it's on YouTube. I tried to watch it. Um, the audio quality was really bad, so I didn't clip it. But this was the actual first exchange of the movie. Good evening, John W. Dean III. Charlie Schaffer, thanks for coming. What the hell? Uh, okay. <laughs> it's real bad, you guys. So I did not. I think I lasted five minutes and, and I was out. On ABC, Salvage One, followed by a TV movie, A Vacation in Hell. Several vacationers wander away from a posh Mexican resort and lose themselves in the jungle. That's the the um, the TV listing description. The Wikipedia says says it was filmed in Hawaii. Um, this starred Priscilla Barnes of Three's Company fame and a question mark and Maureen McCormick of the Brady Bunch. So there's your first uh, bingo card uh, of the night or shot, depending on how you play the game. Uh, NBC was a Little House rerun, followed by A Man Called Intrepid Part 2. This was a World War II story. I couldn't find a ton of details on the plot. Uh, It starred David Niven, Michael York, and Barbara Hershey. Locally on Channel 11, so this, I assume, was syndicated. 
The Rebels, an Operation Primetime Special Event. It's a lot of words. Uh, based on the novel by John Jakes, this was an American Revolution story starring Don Johnson as the titular rebel, I suppose. Um, <laughs> uh, also, Solo. Uh, I didn't I didn't write down his name, but he's he's the main guy. Tom Bosley as Ben Franklin. Love Jim that. Backus, Mr. Howell from Gilligan's Island as John Hancock. A 23-year-old Kim Cattrall as the wife of Don Johnson. Peter Graves as George Washington. And you spoiled it, Christy. William Daniels as John <laughs> Adams. 1776's <laughs> William Daniels. Was this a thing? Did he go around playing John Adams and other properties? He's just like Hal Holbrooking all over the place. It's real weird. I, I'm, I'm still stuck on the title. Is it... Operation Prime Time, or is it, or is Operation somehow like a it's the series rep- of the title things? Is, the title the is the Rebels, Rebels and Operation Prime Time special event. So is it correct? Is it an Operation special event that is taking place in Prime Time, or is it an Operation Prime Time special event? Like, what the fuck is does it, any of that mean? John Adams has to operate on Ben Franklin. <laughs> and I assume they both think. buzzes if he fucks up. Yep. <laughs> I mean, Tom Bosley's nose. So. so. Oh, okay. Operation Prime Time was a thing. It was a consortium of American independent television stations that developed primetime programming for other independent stations. Right. There you go. Uh, and we'll have an, we'll have this ad in the in the show notes. Oh yes. Uh, sorry. John Johnson's character was was the bastard, according to this ad. Um, no, a rebel and a bastard. Yeah, so uh, so Channel Eleven is our local uh, local station. So this would have been a syndicated, much like the Muppet Show event. Um, this ad is also the first time I think I've seen uh, the branding Eleven Alive for WPIX. Um, mm. So there's like there's a lot going on in this ad, and yeah, they're trying to compete with the networks with this situation. Um, Channel Eleven uh, is now our CW station. It was the WB for a while, so you know there's a there's a whole thing there. PIX also went through a phase where it was available well beyond New York. Like we got WPIX in Massachusetts, maybe as a cable station. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> what were I, they I offering? It's kind of like WGN. I guess. It's weird. And then this also just was wild. The Obie Awards, the Off-Broadway Theater Awards, uh, were on Channel 13 I assume only Channel 13 and not PBS stations anywhere else. But the fact that they were televised at all, insane <laughs> from from 2023, but like from any point in my lifetime. They were hosted by Ron Liebman, future husband of Jessica Walter. Uh, I looked it up. They were not married yet. So so half a drink if you're playing our, our drinking game. Um, presenters included Danny Aiello, Vincent Gardinia, Judd Hirsch, Susie Kurtz, and Nancy Marchand. Our guest star, that's what I'm here to do. So it really makes me happy to introduce to you. Roy Rogers and Dale Evans were actors, singers, songwriters, and stars of film, television, and comic books. Roy was born in Cincinnati, Ohio in 1911 as Leonard Franklin Sly. Dale was born almost exactly a year later in Uvalde, Texas, where she was named Frances Octavia Smith. Roy grew up on a farm where he learned everything from horsemanship to yodeling to music an essential skill for a rural family that didn't even have a radio. Dale had a somewhat rougher childhood, bouncing between her parents and an uncle who lived in Arkansas, eloping at age 14 and becoming a mother by 15. 
By age 16, she had been abandoned by her husband and was raising her son alone in Memphis, singing and playing piano on local radio. By the time she received her divorce at age 17, she had become Chicago's Dale Evans, a name she adopted because she thought it sounded better on the radio. Roy also didn't finish high school. After his sophomore year, he dropped out to go to work to help his family. His sister Mary had settled in California, and by 1930, Roy and the rest of the family followed her west. It was there, at his sister's encouragement, that he got involved in the country music scene. And by 1933, he had formed the group that would eventually be known as the Sons of the Pioneers. That same year, Roy married a fan named Lucille Ascalisi, but the marriage would not last more than three years. The year they married, Roy met another fan named Grace Arlene Wilkins, whom he would marry in 1936 following his divorce from Lucille. During this time, Dale had landed a screen test with 20th Century Fox and a gig on the Edgar Bergen Charlie McCarthy radio show. During this period of her life, under pressure from the movie studios, she began referring to her son Tom as her younger brother to avert any scandal about her status as a young divorced mother. She would be married twice more before the decade was over, both times unsuccessfully, and she wouldn't go back to claiming Tom as her son until she eventually married Roy more than a decade later. In 1934, Roy's group, The Sons of the Pioneers, recorded their first record with Decca, which included the hit song Tumbling Tumbleweeds, which we'll hear on this episode. Over the next two years, they would record close to three dozen songs, including the classic Cool Water. Roy made his first film in 1935, still going by his birth name of Leonard Sly, and was in a number of singing cowboy pictures over the next few years, including one with Gene Autry, the reigning king of the genre at that point. When Republic Pictures decided that Autry was getting too expensive, They held a contest to find the next great singing cowboy, and Leonard won, and Roy Rogers was born. When it came time to renegotiate his contract in 1940, Roy had a novel idea. He secured the rights to his likeness, voice, and name for merchandising. Before long, he was everywhere. Action figures, adventure novels, a long-running comic book, and more. It said he was second only to Walt Disney in the number of products that bore his name. Dale and Roy's careers converged in 1944 when they were cast in a film together. At that time, Dale was still married to her third husband and Roy to his second wife. Roy and Grace had two daughters, and in 1946, Grace gave birth to a son and died shortly thereafter from complications related to the childbirth. Roy and Dale married just over a year later. This one stuck. They were together on and off screen until Roger's death in 1998. Together, they had one child, Robin Elizabeth, who had Down syndrome and died as a two-year-old. Dale wrote a best-selling book about the experience called Angel Unaware and became an important advocate for children with developmental disabilities. Dale and Roy would eventually adopt four more children. In addition to their successful film series, Roy and Dale had a radio show in the 40s and 50s and a television show in the 50s as well. It's hard to overstate how famous and how popular they were. For a number of years, theater owners voted on the most popular stars in the country, and Roy was consistently near the top of the rankings of Hollywood stars and at the very top of the rankings for Western stars, including a 10-year run where he was number one starting in 1943. They were both Republicans, active in Barry Goldwater's campaign for president, and vocal in the movement to restore mandatory school prayer in 1964 after the Supreme Court said that it was illegal. They were close with Billy Graham and recorded a number of religious records throughout their career. Dale even hosted a religious television show in the 1990s. In 1968, Rogers licensed his name to the Marriott Corporation, which converted its Hot Chops restaurants into Roy Rogers restaurants, but he otherwise had no involvement. Dale's film career had mostly ended by the early 50s, but Roy continued appearing in films into the 70s. 
In the 80s, they co-hosted a show on the Nashville Network where they recorded new introductions to their old movies. Uh, I believe it was called Happy Trails Theater, and if you watch their movies on Tubi today, I think these are the versions you'll see. At least, that was the case based on my data set of one. Roy died in 1998 at the age of 86, and Dale followed in 2001 at the age of 88. Uh, Who has thoughts, feelings, memories about Roy Rogers and Dale Evans? Good burgers. (laughs) I mean, these are more archetype figures in my head than people whose work I was super familiar with. You know, like I just knew of... Roy Rogers as like the apotheosis of, you know, Hollywood cowboys. And they were just early enough in the culture that, that I, this was really my, my first time seeing both of them on screen together. So that was fun. It's funny. I knew their music more than their like screen personas, although not necessarily in their renditions of it. I, many years ago, the first time, not the only time, but the first time that I visited the Country Music Hall of Fame, I think I bought uh, a couple CDs that had, uh, among them, many covers of songs that they had either written or made famous. Uh, and that sort of got me into cowboy music as a subgenre of country music. And cowboy music, I think, is sort of like, it, it has much more in common with like, pop music and show tunes of the thirties and forties than it does with country music of today. So it sort of makes sense that I gravitated towards it, but I don't think I'd ever seen a Roy Rogers movie. So when we're getting ready for this week, I called up my dad who is 80 years old. So was like in the prime Roy Rogers demographic when he was a little boy and asked if he had a recommendation of what I should watch. And he was like, Oh, it doesn't matter. They're all the same. <laughs> I tried to watch one and <laughs> I couldn't tell you anything about it which I thought was interesting. Um, So I picked one uh, based on the title. I picked Don't Fence Me In because that's a song I know. And let me tell you, it was delightful. It was, first of all, in this one, Dale Evans plays uh, a spunky New York journalist who has to go west to investigate a story uh, and, you know, has sort of a enemies to lovers thing going on with, with Roy and it's got a bunch of good numbers in it, and uh, there's some good dancing horses and some uh, whip action and some shooting tricks, and and it's like just over an hour, and it's great. And I don't know that I need to rush out and watch any more of them, but as someone at least who enjoys B-movies of the 30s, like this was among the very best of them. So uh, that, that one's on Tubi if anyone is interested to see one of the better Roy Rogers and Dale Evans movies, I recommend it. As a person who does not care about any of this, uh, it is it's interesting how just how pervasive some of these songs are and unavoidable and not in a bad way at all. To just, you know, Happy Trails and Tumble and Tumble, Tumbleweeds and Don't Fence Me In are all just songs that are in the ether and that I know and can sing at least the choruses of and you know, that, that says something about what I think, what important figures they were. Um, and I was not kidding. Those, those were some good burgers. <laughs> I really liked those restaurants as a kid. Um, I know he didn't really do anything, but you know, Hey, make that money. Good job. Why don't you get me so David, you found the movie charming. What did you think of the episode? 
You know, not my favorite. Roy and Dale as senior citizens lack a lot of the the spunk and the charm, I think, that made them so good in their early days. Especially, it, it felt weird how how much they were sort of given separate scenes. They only really were together at the very beginning and the very end. And Dale, in particular, was given material that I think didn't do her any favors and didn't do the Muppet show any favors. We'll talk about that when we get there. I didn't dislike this. And there's a couple pieces that I really like and a couple pieces that uh, are very memorable for me, but it, it was not top drawer. I think it also suffers from the same thing that like the Edgar Berg and Charlie McCarthy episode suffers from, which is that like when Jim gets a little starstruck about his childhood idols, I think he maybe doesn't always make the smartest choices around material because maybe he's a little too deferential. And I think that might be what's going on here. Christy. I loved this. I was expecting to find it hokey in a bad way. And it is hokey, but like David, there were were pieces of this that were very memorable to me. Uh, Not because I was familiar with the episode, but because bits of them were on some of those 80s compilation VHS tapes. Uh, So it was nice to see them in context, and I enjoyed them in context. I I just thought that this was really easygoing and fun. Michal? I enjoyed this a lot more than I expected to. I thought this was a really nicely executed episode of The Muppet Show, actually. I don't need a backstage plot in a Muppet Show episode. I appreciate when the Muppets are just having so much fun with the theme that they don't really bother with a backstage plot. Uh, If it's well done, if it makes me laugh, which in this case, it checked those boxes. Also, one thing that I really appreciate about this episode was this was the perfect deployment of some of the Muppets and some of the performers that I hadn't figured out how to feel about necessarily. Like, it was a beautiful use of Beauregard. I want to see him playing a harmonica every time I see him from here on out. (laughs) It's the most adorable thing I've ever seen Beauregard do. (laughs) Ditch the mop, pick up the harmonica. This is great. Um. Use of the babies, actually really well done. And we'll talk about it. Wrong disagree. Okay, we'll talk about it. <laughs> the prairie dogs, um, the correct use of Steve Whitmire's voice. He no <laughs> longer sounds like a turkey to me. He sounds like a prairie dog. Also, the lobster banditos, possibly still offensive, but still correctly deployed. And also, yeah, this episode includes one of my favorite Muppety jokes ever in the universe it's right up there with just for the halibut so lots to love for me yeah we have established that country and or western uh not my jam but uh i yeah i love this i i was very charmed by it i was very charmed by them we have talked about you know performers that just get the muppets and and they really they really do they they engage with them really well right they they treat everything and everyone as real Boy, does Roy love Muppy. Like, <laughs> clearly wants to oh. adopt that dog. <laughs> yeah, I I kind of loved every minute of it. Just like production-wise, I wondered if um, they were out of money because it's the end of the season and uh, next week's episode is uh, a high-concept one. And I did notice that um, every every on-state scene had the same backdrop. Uh, and not they built much a lot of cows, though. A lot of cows, it's true. Uh, heard of them? Oh, bunch um, of cows. Uh, no, it's a herd. It's a herd of cows. 
I've heard of cows. And I lost a train of thought because we did the bit. Um, the, the, <laughs> but it's the same backdrop and like it's a fence that they can sort of move around and reconfigure. And, and you know, there, there's some stuff. There's the paradox set. There's like some things, but everything has that same uh, that same mountain behind it. And so I was just curious about that. But like it doesn't it doesn't hurt it. Um, there are some episodes where I might have felt that as a as a problem, but this time it was like, no, yeah, they're doing they're doing a western bit. Okay, it's fine. So yeah, no, it was a definitely a a, a plus for me. Roy Rogers and Dale Evans, 15 seconds to curtain, Roy and Dale. Thank you, Scooter. Hey, Scooter, what's this target doing here? Oh, well, we thought you'd feel more at home on the range. (laughs) (laughs) So as we open... We, we know immediately that we're in genre territory because the dressing room door opens, except it's a saloon double door and Scooter is in adorable cowboy attire. So that's how this whole episode is going to go. And also there's a big target behind Roy Rogers and Dale Evans and the Muppets are apparently trying to murder them. I guess, you know, I guess I did say they were saving money on the set, but they did have to make little Western costumes for every single Muppet. So yeah, that's a lot of sewing that somebody. Yeah. And a lot of fringe cutting and a lot of really cute. I don't know how they make tiny hats. They're they might so just buy cute. doll hats. They're oh, very they're, cute. They make hats for children. Yeah. I mean, someone has to make the and doll for dolls. Hats. Right. Just, well, right. I just, <laughs> they hatch. They, they get the doll hats with the cabbage <laughs> patch. <laughs> there are different skills in sewing Muppets and making hats. And it might be easier to not make them in the Muppet workshop. I, I will say, I, I don't like this opening bit. I I guess it would not be funny to shoot at the guest star. <laughs> there's a lot of shooting at a lot of different people in this episode. There is a lot of shooting in this episode, but like, so there's a target behind them as if it were a shooting range. But then what actually happens is, it, is that it's a bombing range. Yeah, and they're visibly startled. And Roy Rogers yeah. does this thing where he tries to protect Dale Evans. <laughs> like, they both look really alarmed, honestly. Also, the entire wall shakes. I never realized how cheaply constructed the set as before <laughs> it's like cardboard which is fine it usually doesn't matter but it matters this week yeah uh i would love to see them on a giant stovetop but i'm that would have been very expensive to build statler and waldorf have a fine gentleman entering their box i don't Hey-o. know what's <laughs> oh my god are these seats taken no take them are there other seats in the box, or is he asking for their seats that their butts are in? I think he's asking for their seats. And and they're like, yes, we want to go home. But then they yeah, stay the rest of the show that's anyway. The, that's the joke. All right. That's the joke. I, I didn't get it because that's the whole joke. Are these seats taken? May we sit here? Are these seats taken? That's, the, that's what the thing people say. Yeah. It's just and weird to say it when the seats are clearly taken because they're sitting in them. <laughs> Yeah, the seats are already occupied by Statler and Usually you say that about an empty seat next to someone. I, I see. Maybe he thinks they work there. <laughs> are you just testing the seats to see if they're warm? It's possible that his ticket had those seat numbers on them. Also that. Oh. Like, they maybe, they bought one ticket in season one and just never left. <laughs> Is he trying to say, you're in my seat, and he's trying to say it in a polite way? Possibly. Passive-aggressive right? way. We've never seen evidence of an usher at this theater. Yeah, I can't imagine there is one. It's a Schubert house. Anyway. Moving on. Gonzo blows his trumpet, makes it sound like a horse. Let's go backstage. Yeah, Muppet Joe backstage. So this week, 
The Muppets. They're on this Western theme, and they're not joking around about it. Or they may be joking around just a little. Welcome to the Muppet Cowboy Show with tonight's stars Roy Rogers and Dale Evans. And it's not only my hat that's a tribute to the Wild Woolly West, there's also my Wild Woolly Vest. Yeah, and they're, as we mentioned, there are cows hanging around, there are cowboys just milling around backstage. Uh, the cowboys are definitely not joking around. They've been branding Link Hogthrob on the face. Hey, Link, what are you doing hanging out backstage? Well, those nasty cowboys threw me out of my dressing room. No kidding. I just barged in. I don't really have anything to discuss about it. I just really like that Link's line reading. I mean, yeah, he sounds just deeply sad about the whole thing. You'd think he'd be, you know, more sad about how much pain he's in from being branded on really horrifying. Yeah. I mean, if they do it to cows and they do it to pigs... One shouldn't be more horrifying than the other. But on his face. Yeah. On his face. Yeah. Although, let's just take a moment to be glad we didn't have to see his ass cheeks. The cheeks on his face are quite enough. But you're all thinking about it now, picturing it at home, aren't you? Where does he usually hang out? I mean, yeah, what are you doing hanging out backstage? I don't know. What's Floyd doing hanging out backstage? Or does Link have a dressing room or does Floyd not have a dressing room? I mean, band members wouldn't typically have a dressing room, would they? keep him in a pit for a reason right i do like that floyd still does that weird walk where his like sort of hips go first and then the rest of him catches up motivated from the clavicle i love it so much all right we've mentioned the muppet cows i'm very excited to tell you (laughs) where there are muppet cows there must inevitably inexorably be muppet cow jokes uh what the what are these cows here for? Uh, well, they're apparently for Roy and Dale's closing number. Uh, say, what, what are they singing? Uh, catch a falling steer. Ah, or, or, or if heifer, I should leave you. Ah, stop, 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 stop. I can take the cows, but not the cow jokes. <laughs> what about that? Fozzie is so pleased with himself. He's doing the thing where his face moves all the way across the screen just so he can (laughs) project the joke as far as possible. It's just beautiful. He does that thing where he tries to stop himself from laughing (laughs) and he can't. It's really cute. Like, it's very, there's something very human about it. And I don't think that any other, like, current. Muppet can really do it like the way that his face works. Maybe Rolf. And then Kermit does his smushy face thing because he's so annoyed. It's it's perfect. I love it so much. It's beautiful. And where there are Muppet cow jokes, it it must follow. But, but seriously, you cows are in other delight. Ah. And I mean, you don't know the hoof of that. Hey, Kermit, Kermit, this bunch of cows loves me. I'm a hit. Uh, not bunch, herd. Uh, herd of what? Herd of cows. Sure, I heard of cows. <laughs> uh, no, I mean the cows herd. Of course they heard. I was talking right to them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Muppets are great. 
I love this so much. Nothing to add. This just brings me a lot of joy. So, unsurprisingly, with two musical guest stars, we have a lot of music. (laughs) But it's all interesting and delightful. Our opening number comes to us from the underground. Blue days. All of them. Gone. 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 Nothing but new skies. From now on. This was the absolute high point of the episode. Unfortunately, it's the opening number, but it is just unbeatable. It is so good. It's so good. So this is Blue Skies, as rendered by a bunch of prairie dogs doing their best Manhattan transfer. (laughs) And it is uh, an Irving Berlin song from 1926. Shout out to the very recently public domain. Ooh, I think you mean a town of prairie dogs, apparently. Hmm. Really? That was just the first result for a collective noun for prairie dogs. Huh. Interesting. You said a, a bunch of prairie dogs and I had to find out. Right, for the... <laughs> for the halibut. Anyway, uh, Blue Skies, Irving Berlin. Uh, and Irving Berlin wrote it as a, a favor for a, a vaudevillian named Belle Baker, who was starring in a Rodgers and Hart musical called Betsy. And she felt like there wasn't a number in the show that was fully her brand. She was like, this, this needs a Belle Baker number. So she called up Irving Berlin. God, as a writer of musical theater, this makes my teeth itch. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Like, couldn't you have called Rogers and Hart? No, no, no. Have someone else do add a song to it. Sure. To be fair, in 1926, Rogers and Hart had like 15 shows up on Broadway. I'm sure they did not have time to go back and add something to that show. They were already like six shows forward. Yeah. No, I the logistics I understand, but you know, <laughs> the and part of it is just because uh, this song was why the the show was sort of a hit. Uh, on opening night, it apparently got like 24 encores. <laughs> yeah, it was bananas. I mean, it's a great song. It's a great, great song, but 24 times. But anyway, it really entered the popular consciousness uh, the next year uh, because it was one of the songs in The Jazz Singer, the first ever talking picture. Sorry, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> not do the singing in the rain guy like even as i was taking my notes i was just like a talking picture thank you goodbye um, <laughs> and blue skies is, is a is a standard it, it's appeared in many contexts many movies uh, there was a movie called blue skies in 1946 with bing crosby who's gonna pop up a lot in these songs so ho- hope you're a fan of bing and Bing and Danny Kate sang it in White Christmas. Data sang it in Star Trek Nemesis. <laughs> and uh, it, there were hit versions of it uh, in 1946, so 20 years after uh, it was written. So that, that's kind of cool. There was a Count Basie version that hit number eight and a Benny Goodman version that hit number nine. And it's been recorded by many, many people, including noted Joe Raposo, Stan Frank Sinatra. And Willie Nelson had a number one hit on the Billboard Hot Country Singles in Your Area chart in 1978. So I have a feeling that that is why 
this was in the uh, zeitgeist for somebody was looking up hot country singles in their area yeah (laughs) in the muppet show writer's room (laughs) exactly Uh, also the willie nelson version is really delightful so i i recommend looking that up too but yeah it's it's a really good time i i I think it, it is very well rendered as a musical number, um, but also just the prairie dogs are so cute. It's so cute. They're so cute. The arrangement is so much better than it needed to be. Yeah. Like they're oh, doing they went some hard, serious <laughs> harmonies and, and they coordinate it with the choreography in a way that they could have just sort of uh, like lazied their way out of, but they don't like they, the, when the voices shift, it has to do with like which puppets are popping up and going down. And, you know, we've seen them sort of cheat with that kind of thing on the Muppaphone in the past. So it was all the more impressive to see that there was not cheating on this, that it was actually like the different ones were popping up and having the same voice and the voice matching the voice that was singing. And it was just, it was all very, very clever. Yeah. It's a really well-constructed production number. And when they're when they're swaying in unison is when they're singing in unison. I, th- I think I didn't track it, but it it feels really satisfying when they sway in unison as opposed to when they're bouncing in and out of the holes or swaying in different directions. It's delightful. And the Prairie Dogs will be back in future episodes, and I had sort of forgotten about them, but uh, they are a beloved part of the Muppet Show experience, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. I also love that after the number, uh, th- there's one random prairie dog that just randomly steals a piece of mail off of Kermit's desk. Yeah, it's as Remember Kermit that, is praising that will them. Be relevant later. <laughs> Kermit well, saying how much he liked it, and the go the prairie dog. Excuse me, it's just stealing Kermit's shit. Yeah, because later there's a whole episode where the prairie dogs just steal shit from all over the theater. Amazing. <laughs> How'd you like that song by those prairie dogs? Well, there's a number I could go for. (laughs) (laughs) That made me Google what's the difference between prairie dogs and gophers, and there is one. I don't remember what it is. We'll put it in the show. Oh, one of them was like meaner than the other one, right? Like Yeah, and they're slightly different faces and tails and Yeah. Yeah. I also could not tell you which one the puppets actually look more like, but yes, they are different. They're not the same thing. I think gophers are more dangerous if I remember correctly. That sounds right. Yeah. I mean, prairie dog versus gopher, that search took me immediately to a a pest control website. So (laughs) that's really where you need to know the difference. Should ask Clive Coenga. He'd know. Mm. (laughs) Hmm. Rodent abatement chapter prairie dog. Speaking of terrifying beasties. Yeah, let's horse around a little bit. Singing hi-ho, whoopie-tie-o, riding high and down you go, sun of the western soil. Singing hi-ho, whoopie-tie-o, riding high and down you go, sun of the western soil. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this is uh, Roy Rogers and Muppet Friends singing a song called Old Skyball Paint about a horse. A very mean horse named Skyball Paint, uh, uh, which is a, a wild name for a horse. 
Um, and I have questions that I could not find answers to regarding why anyone would name a horse that. But, you know. Uh, this song was written by Bob Nolan uh, in 1936. And Bob Nolan was one of the original Sons of the Pioneers alongside Roy Rogers. And Roy Rogers was actually forced out of the Sons of the Pioneers uh, by one of his movie studio contracts. So Bob Nolan for a little bit was kind of the de facto leader of the Sons of the Pioneers, but he didn't really, he was more of a songwriter and musician than, you know, a star. So he, he didn't particularly enjoy that. But uh, we've talked about the Sons of the Pioneers before. They still exist. You can see them on tour right now. And in fact, Roy's son, Roy Rogers Jr., who's better known as Dusty Rogers, is the lead vocalist. Hmm. He was until 2022. He retired. Oh. I learned this on their, their website. Official <laughs> website. Oh, oh, no. It, it, it's a recent post from them. Uh, I think it's sonsofthepioneers.org. Um, but yeah, they're, they're oh, on fine, tour. I, I, Google took me right to his page on the website where it still lists him as lead in harmony vocals. So he, he needs to update his website. What, what's he doing? He's retired. I, I need He's to update to my website too. I, I can relate. Wait, um, <laughs> that's how he's spending retirement. That's um, a Squarespace. Mm. So is ours. There you go. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, they're apparently uh, playing in Arizona and, and Texas this winter slash spring. So if you're in those areas, check them out. Do we know if they're singing on this track? Because I feel certain that they, Roy and Dale, brought their own backup singers for this in general. It certainly sounds like it. Right? Yeah. They also are engaging more with, you know, the Muppet performers who are better singers, I've noticed just generally in these songs. But true. I mean, it, it's not. But it's more I, the, I don't say the that sound that fills it out, sounds like. Yeah, I, like I don't say that to shade the Muppet performers who, oh, are, no, no, who no. are quite good, but there's a there's a particular sound to these songs that is not what I'm used to hearing on the Muppet Show. It's also possible that Roy was just able to direct the Muppet singers to sound that way. Maybe, yeah. This is the the one where they're all like sitting around. This is not the one where they're riding horses, right? Yeah, this is the this is the the dullest number in the episode. They, they I, I feel safe to say for me. Uh, so it was an interesting mix of Muppets because. We got, I think, some of the Muppets who are part of the the jug band are in this group, but also mm-hmm. the Jim Puppet from the Country Trio, but not the other two. Yeah, and maybe Jim is a couple there with of like, whatnots, right? Like, Jim is there with two random whatnots, which really stood out to me as look, looking strange. That to me is just like one more of like, oh, this is Jim wanting to be close to his childhood <laughs> idol. <laughs> maybe. I mean, the Jim Puppet is well suited to being dressed in cowboy attire as as much as it's kind of jarring to see him next to whatnots, it still makes sense. I just wonder why they didn't use the whole country trio. I was also surprised not to see the whole jug huggers group there. Well, but there, it, there is a definite, you know, line of demarcation between country and Western and bluegrass is definitely firmly on the countryside of it. It's splitting hairs, but... I don't know. As musical styles, I understand that those are different. As Muppets that you would use to populate a cowboy scene, uh, it felt like the Jug Huggers would be the go-to. We also totally randomly have Beauregard playing the harmonica, and he is in none of the above groups. But it's still worth it. (laughs) 
for me, it was the puppet styles. And it wasn't even that they were in the scene together, but it was they were like they were grouped together. So to have that that Jim puppet from the country trio, which is like a, about as realistic as a Muppet gets next to whatnots who are like by design about as nondescript as a Muppet gets. I just found very odd, like just put them across the stage from each other. And I wouldn't have thought about it. Um, there's also this weird shot. They keep returning to with a saddle in the foreground where like the focus is on the saddle and not on Roy Rogers and the aforementioned strange collection of Muppets. Yeah. Which I makes just, it look enormous. It looks like a motorcycle. Well, like it's a weird force perspective, like, like Kermit's desk and the, in the backstage, but, but I, I feel also like just, it's, it's the, Otherwise, you'd be seeing Dave Goals, and they couldn't figure out how to get Burgard there without putting something in the way. I guess I just was like, was somebody just being artsy? Is that Skyball paint saddle? And the suggestion is that he is now dead, and that is just his saddle. I no, don't know. I just the puppet that Roy Rogers is singing to is Skyball paint. Oh yeah, because right, because Skyball paint comes yeah. back later. That's right. Yeah, I don't know. It was just a weird shot, and it stood out to me as looking strange and somebody getting artsy. Or, yes, perhaps a weird way to hide him up in. That Roy Rogers is one good singer. Yep, but if he does any of those rope tricks, I'm leaving. (laughs) 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 This is a nice bit of puppetry where Waldorf actually gets lassoed. And pulled out of the box. But there is a moment, which was never meant for high-definition televisions, where you can see Waldorf's face go slack as the puppet gets pulled off of the hand. And it's really creepy. I mean, it's really impressive overall. Like, yeah, Jim's I started hand with that. Has to, Yeah, Jim's hand has to disengage really quickly from the puppet, and it looks seamless. Is there a gif of and this? They, there is a gif of this. Of course, is a gift of this. I didn't slow it down. I just did it at regular speed. Um, I'm pretty sure you can also see uh, Waldorf's puppet hole as he goes over the edge. Is it hot? Go to MuppetChurch.com slash store where you can buy merch that says, hang on to your puppet holes. I thought you were going to say where you can find out how hot Waldorf's puppet hole is. (laughs) Jeez. Hot puppet holes in your area. Oh, no. Okay. Now that we've been backed into a corner, um, let's uh, let's talk about uh, a song with Dale Evans and uh, some babies. (laughs) The stars and nights are big and bright, deep in the heart of Texas. Wide and high, deep in the heart of Texas. Well, you're not exactly the sun behind, but you get the rhythm. I wasn't sure whether to clap along because I knew that in the in the eventual podcast it would sound way off, but I don't think it'll sound that much more off than the baby's clapping already is. It was it was the friends theme of its day. It's, it's... The Pavlovian response, like you have to do it. Mm-hmm. It's fun. It's funny that you say that. I've got some fun facts related to that Pavlovian response. Um, Let's do this. Yeah. So this is uh, "Deep in the Heart of Texas," which is a song from 1941, 
Uh, it had lyrics by June Hershey and music by Don Swander. And there were five versions of it that uh, hit the Billboard charts in 1942. So, it, wow, the, the, the Despacito of of 1942. Uh, <laughs> let's let's say that. When it was. was the last time when multiple covers of the same song were on the chart in the same year? That's a good question. I mean, I can't remember a time when five versions. <laughs> Of a song started, but, but even two, I feel like that hasn't happened since the sixties. Yeah, I keep finding that thing on the the seventy nine charts where the same title pops up, but they're not the same song, right? Huh? Yeah. Well, one of those five versions uh, was a Bing Crosby version. A lot of Bing this episode. Somebody just got bingo. Oh. Uh. <laughs> um. Yeah. And it also, it topped uh, Your Hit Parade, which was still a thing at this point. Uh, It was at the top of Your Hit Parade for five weeks. And my favorite fun fact that I came across about this song is that it was banned from airplay during regular business hours uh, by the BBC during World War II. I know where Uh, this is going, and oh my god. Because uh, it was banned by a mysterious internal organization called uh, the Dance Music Policy Committee. Oh my God. very orwellian um and they were formed to uh in the 30s to keep like body innuendo mostly from music hall songs uh, off the air but it was happened for fear that factory workers would clap along and like fuck up their work <laughs> <laughs> not for fear that they would be given away to people who wished to bomb them yeah because they were making a racket just yeah. that they would stop working for a second yeah, and just like assembly lines would fall apart. Oh no! Oh. <laughs> there's a there's a bit in in Pee Wee's Big Adventure, which I I'm pretty sure is how this is one of those like I I know this song and I it's just like always been there. But I think it came to me in Pee Wee's Big Adventure where Pee Wee makes a phone call from Texas, I guess to Dottie. I haven't seen the movie in a million years, uh, and he's like, "I'm in Texas. Here, I'll prove it." He's in a phone booth, and he he like leans out of the phone booth and he sings this and then he holds the receiver out and like passersby on the street, stop and clap. (laughs) And like, that's the joke. So this is a thing that has endured. Yeah. For decades. This made me scream. I thought this was so funny. (laughs) Like I agree with Mahal. I think this is the perfect deployment of the babies. So the reason I hate it, hate it is that it feels like, a children's television program all of a sudden. And that's not what the Muppet show is. Like this feels like Dale Evans doing romper room, not Dale Evans doing the Muppet show. Oh, I, I'm going to shock you, David, you're alone in this. I I don't understand. You mentioned that earlier this week that you didn't hate the babies. And I was like, I don't, what? I, it's (laughs) the babies are about context. Yeah. Because they're, I think because they're they're behaving in a baby like way, and not as the creepy ass Bobby Benson baby band. Although Bobby well, Benson is there, he is he is. Which is also, I mean, again, talk about weird combos of Muppets. There's like two perfectly normal looking country music playing whatnots, and then Bobby Benson is standing in between them playing something. Weird, I forget great what. Face. Um, <laughs> but it doesn't make. Like, so the like continuity pedant in me is like, why are they regular babies now? Um, I guess there are regular babies in Loretta Lynn. They were just like creepy, horrifying 
oh my god, yeah, learn were... about birth control regular babies in Loretta Lynn. But and they yeah, were playing like, baby instruments know. in later numbers. But here they're just Yeah, and I hate babies. the baby instruments, right? The sound uh-huh. of them makes my ears bleed. There's I found them so cute. Like one of them falls down at one point and then pulls itself back up. Yeah, it's really cute. They're adorable. And I think it's also it's it's also that Dale Evans sell, like the exact thing that bothers you about the Dale Evans performance is what sells it for me. Because the way that she is interacting with them, like she fucking loves them. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's part of what makes it work. I'm glad you all enjoyed it. <laughs> I'm unconvinced. And I, I get the taking a little bit of umbrage on the on Dale Evans' behalf that like she doesn't get yeah. much screen time and this is her solo number and she has to sing a children's song with babies. I mean, I know Deep in the Heart of Texas isn't specifically aimed at children, but that but that's how they play it, is, it here. Okay, kids, now we're going to make the, the, the yeah. sounds that all the things yeah, in the Yeah, it is a little made. wheels on the bus, it's true. Yeah, but all the, the sounds are weird, too. Like, it's... <laughs> yeah, and this baby squishes like, up like, his yip, little yip face noises. and tries to make a coyote sound, and then it falls down, like Adam said. <laughs> it's really cute. Well, then they all got shot. <laughs> Let's put this show out of its misery. <laughs> Dark. Yes, yeah, straight-out aggression is not usually their style. It's a real shooty episode. It is. Well, in our UK spot this week, we surprisingly keep the Western theme going. Four-legged friend, a four-legged friend. He'll never let you down, let you down. He's honest and faithful right up to the end. That wonderful one, two, three, four-legged friend. You know, I thought we'd be there by now. Yeah, but remember, we had to stop and water these horses. That's right. Then we had to stop and milk them. (laughs) Something about this life don't seem right. (laughs) Let me tell you, when I was nine years old, uh, this sketch was the height of comedy. (laughs) (laughs) I was hoping you'd say that when you were nine years old, you rode a cow. No, I I did ride a, a camel and I think an elephant, but n- never a cow. Hmm. Can you ride cows? Are cows rideable? I don't think they are. I think pretty much anything's rideable if you try hard enough. Anyway, uh, this is Four-Legged Friend, and it was on one of those VHS compilations, so it, it is near and dear to my heart. And before we talk about the history of the song, the setup of the song is it's the uh, Jim and Jerry puppets from the country trio Riding cows that they think are horses or hosses, as they say. And uh, the song, well, it was written by Jack Brooks in 1952, and it was uh, for a, a movie called Son of Paleface, which was a sequel to a movie called The Paleface that starred Bob Hope and Jane Russell. Uh, the sequel starred Bob Hope, Jane Russell, and Roy Rogers. So that's why this song is apropos. But uh, when I asked my dad about Roy Rogers movies to watch, he couldn't recommend any real Roy Rogers movies, but did recommend Son of Paleface, knowing that I didn't really want to watch a Bob Hope movie that happened to have Roy Rogers in it. But uh, <laughs> if anyone loves Bob Hope and likes Roy Rogers, my dad recommends this. So funnily enough, uh, the original Paleface definitely uh 
ticks a square in the Muppeturgy bingo because it uh, featured a song called Buttons and Bows, which was the 1948 Best Song Oscar winner, uh, which I I know (laughs) mostly from an episode of Frasier where he manages to huck the bejeepers (laughs) during a PBS pledge drive. And yes, I brought a clip. (laughs) So without further ado, I give you Buttons and Bows. From Paleface. <laughs> Maestro, please. East is east, and west is west, and the wrong one I have chose. Let's go where you'll keep on wearing those da-da-da's and and things and buttons and buttons and bows. <laughs> Don't bury me with a flubbing pee or something, la-la-la. Let's all go to a... Taco show and a house, such an impressive blow my nose. You like great buttons and bow. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I wanted to like this number more. I appreciate that they're probably having fun because it's the Jim and Jerry puppets, and it makes it easier to picture Jim and Jerry underneath the puppets, just like waltzing around and joking around. And it, it sounds like they're having fun. There's not much going on on the screen. And they keep joking about how they're cows. Um, I, I also, enjoy, just in, in my mental journey, <laughs> um, I can't think about Muppets riding cows without acknowledging the modern classic. Anything is possible when you smell like a monster and know the word on. I am on a horse. Moo cow. Mm-hmm. Yes. I found something to love here. So we close out with a grand Roy Rogers, Dale Evans medley. Riding down the canyon to watch the sun go down. A picture that no artist Yep. So, <laughs> uh, these are the first two songs in the medley. Uh, the first one is a song called Hazy Mountains that was written by Dale Evans uh, in 1952. Couldn't find much else about it, uh, but I think it's actually kind of a gorgeous song. I was really kind of surprised by it. The second song is uh, El Rancho Grande, which had uh, music by Silvana Ramos and uh, lyrics by Juan Diaz del Moral. And uh, it's from 1926. So uh, yet another shout out to the very recently public domain. Um, But there are also uh, English lyrics that were written later by Bartley Costello that we will hear in another medley in a later episode. But this is not all that we hear in this medley. Uh, There's more. Only but free I'll be found Drifting along with the tumbling tumbleweeds Happy trails Happy trails to you Keep smiling who cares about the clouds if we're together? Just sing a song 
So sweet. <laughs> so yeah, these two songs are uh, Tumbling Tumbleweeds, uh, which is another uh, Bob Nolan song, uh, this time from 1934. It was originally written as Tumbling Leaves, but he reworked it for a Gene Autry m- movie called Tumbling Tumbleweeds in 1935. And uh, Bing Crosby, Bing, 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 uh, had <laughs> number 12 hit with it in 1940. And you may remember, if you listen to our Spike Milligan episode, I had referenced that the song Oklahoma had been uh, ranked on the uh, Western Writers of America's top 100 Western songs list, but I couldn't find it and I couldn't find the the ranking. Well, I found it. Godblessarchive.org. It was published in American Cowboy Magazine in 2010. And Oklahoma uh, was number 55 on the list, but Tumbling Tumbleweeds, number eight. And then our final song is Happy Trails, which is a Roy and Dale's signature song. It was the theme song for their radio show in the 40s and 50s. And then they had a TV show in the, in the 50s. And it was the theme to that. And uh, Dale wrote it. And uh, it was ranked number 22 on the top 100 Western songs list. I was not expecting for there to be a, a, a tear-jerking number in this episode. But the moment you get all the Muppets just singing in chorus. Plus they're sitting around a campfire. It's all just very sweet. It's so sweet. I, I mentioned this earlier, uh, but the staging on this is the, the Roy and Dale are in the middle uh, flanked on either side. I guess that's what flanked means by, <laughs> by a wide variety of Muppets. And, uh, and Muppy is on, is in between them on Roy's lap. And like Roy is so into Muppy. <laughs> like it's really, Get that man a dog. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just—it's real sweet. It's really cute. So uh, Wikipedia's article about this is a little confusing because it says that the song is from 1952, but then says it was the theme song in the 40s and 50s of the radio show. So uh, Happy Trails. Happy Trails. With that in mind, it also talks about how there was an earlier song called Happy Trails from 1951 that Roy Rogers had sung, written by Foy Willing, that began with the same first three notes uh, that Dale used in the version that she wrote. And that, you know, obviously Dale's is the popular version today, but that Foy Willing gets no credit. And I don't know if that's quite leveling a plagiarism accusation at this but it it does sort of raise an eyebrow at the fact that it borrowed the title in the first three notes and doesn't credit him or presumably share royalties with him so i just wanted to bring that to light but with sort of a healthy grain of salt skepticism applied to it too uh, some more Happy Trails trivia, just because it's on brand for us. Uh, it is a, a Broadway tradition, uh, and I don't. I tried to figure out when and where this started, and I, I couldn't. Uh, but in the modern era, at least, um, when a an actor or a company member leaves a show, the company will 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 bid them Happy Trails, uh, often by singing a chorus of the song. Uh, to them. And you'll often see now in the social media era, when a show closes, uh, you might see uh, theater people posting, you know, happy trails to title of show. Uh, so if you've seen that in your, uh, in your Twitter feed, uh, that's, that's what's going on there. Uh, there's also a 
musical in development with the title Happy Trails that uh, aims to tell the story of Roy Rogers and Dale Evans' lives. But interestingly, it is not looking like it's going to use their songs because T-Bone Burnett has written an original score for it. It had been announced for Broadway, I think, for 2020. And then, of course, uh, Broadway closed in 2020 and it did not come in. And so uh, I think they're looking at some alternate development path now, but we may see it either in New York or elsewhere sooner or later. Uh, Back to Muppets. I will say I did find the baby really creepy here. It's that awkward pairing thing again. There is like one baby in this in this scene, and it's you know next to like a muppet it doesn't belong next to, and I, I didn't like it. <laughs> Glad to hear you're back on brand. Well, but again, it's 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 the context thing, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, and without you know Dale looking at it ador- adoringly, <laughs> I was like, man, that's an ugly baby. I was distracted by muppy and cows. I didn't even know there was a baby here. <laughs> Who's who's minding that baby? Not Beauregard. Not me. Bobby Benson. No, he's not there. That's what I'm saying. Well, he's minding the baby. He's just not doing a very good job of it. <laughs> Dale did suggest that she'd like to adopt some of those babies. So maybe this is hers now. Yeah, maybe. Never mind that jazz. Listen, turkey. What? And get out of show business. So a bit of show business this week. Uh, there's a Muppet sports sketch. Louis Kazaga reports from the horseshoe pitch, and he gets hit by a pitched horse. That is the whole joke. It would have been fine to leave it there. And also they have a cowboy just kind of sashay on and literally say, boy, am I stupid, which that would have been just better left alone. But too late now. Okay, there's a bear on patrol sketch. Um, an outlaw named Bullets Barker is coming after Sheriff Link, and Patrol Bear Fozzie actually does something clever, unexpectedly. <laughs> or at least he's clever enough to remember a ploy that worked on him a few episodes ago. He tricks the outlaw into the jail cell by pretending that Link is in there when Link is not. Well done, Fozzie. Where is he? Ah, uh, ah, uh, outside. Can't miss him. Well, I don't plan to... Bullets Barker is very into dramatic pauses accompanied by dramatic stings. And also he's very into shooting stuff. Yeah. I, I don't like that he is competent and has a gun, right? And like the first thing he does is, is prove that he's a good shot. That makes this all less funny to me. It's very threatening. And also it's a little unsettling how threatening he is given that he has the same coloring and same mouth corners as Ernie. <laughs> like, it's not the Ernie puppet, of course. <laughs> but it does alarmingly invoke Ernie. Yeah. Yeah. Also, then then Link hides under a table that's fully open on all sides. So, like, he's not, he's not that competent. But Fozzie seems pretty competent. And that was upsetting in its own right. Like, Fozzie's the one who successfully tricks Bullets Barker into getting locked up. That That's not the Fozzie I know. It's certainly not the yeah. on patrol Fozzie I know. All cowboys are bears. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that the Muppets have landed on a, a patrol bear formula that quite works yet. I think <laughs> you're right. not helping. Hey, at least 
Link didn't still have that brand on his face for this sketch. Yeah, he was more worried about not being able to use his hand to rubber stamp anymore. This is all very bizarre. Uh, There's also a guest star dressing room talk spot, which, again, just Roy Rogers, Sands, Dale Evans. I really did wonder if they were in a fight, and that's why we didn't see them together for the entirety of the episode. I did have Christmas Um, novels and Rita Coolidge thoughts. Yeah. (laughs) Wondered if maybe we were going to end up at a bar at the end. (sighs) But let's listen to Roy's little chat with Kermit. I know you've made a lot of films. 189. You know, I've only made one. One? Yeah, 188 to go. <laughs> hey, but in any of those films, did you ever play a bad guy? No, never did. How come? Didn't think you'd look good wearing a black hat? <laughs> <laughs> no, the main reason that the bad guy never gets to sing. Yeah, to David's point, they are pretty far up his ass. That audience loves him. I mean, and so does Kermit. But yeah, I mean, it's a fake audience, so it's all about <laughs> Well, right. So yeah, that's what I meant. Like, that's, you know, they are they are laying it on pretty thick. The scripted audience, yes. <laughs> but I do I do like the sort of, like, the Hollywood legend of it all. And, um, and it's also interesting that, that the one movie Kermit has made isn't out yet. Um, so, I mean, I guess at this point they're probably promoting it. Uh, or start, you know, starting to to advertise it, but uh, it won't be out for another couple months, right? So, just interesting little little tidbit. I mean, 189 is still a fuck ton of movies. Oh yeah, no, I meant I meant Kermit's. Yeah, <laughs> Kermit has made one, meant... but no one has seen it. So yeah, I, I might applaud too if the circumstances were right. And it it does start out with Roy and Kermit starting to sing "Froggy Went a Courtin," which. That's what you think it's going to be. And then they just start talking instead. It would have been cute if they had just sung the song. (laughs) That was also sweet. Uh, But instead, there's a little yodeling bit where Kermit asks if Roy Rogers can teach him to yodel. And Kermit holds his own. Let's listen. Could you show me how to do it? Sure, it's easy. Yeah? Just repeat after me. Yeah. I'll see you later, Roy. I find this astounding, and I'm not sure I'm going to be able to articulate it well. But in order to yodel, you have to have control over when your voice is down in chest voice or up in your head voice, and those are different tongue placements. Your tongue has to be flat for one, up high for the other. You have to manipulate the inside of your mouth in a very specific way. And then if you are the voice of Kermit the Frog, you have to manipulate the inside of your mouth in a totally third way, (laughs) where you have to constrict your tongue to the back of your mouth to sound like I can't do a Kermit the Frog impression, but if I could do one, (laughs) my mouth would be in a position where I would not be able to do either side of the yodeling voice. What I'm saying is, Jim Henson is good at his job, and I knew that he was good at his job, and I knew that he was talented, but this is uh, verging over into unfair. This doesn't make sense that he's able to do this. (laughs) That was very well explained. Thank you. I thought he was just kind of doing Kermit falsetto, but you made it sound much more impressive. It's very impressive. I'm very impressed. Back me up here, Christy. 
It's definitely impressive. Yeah. Thank you. I'm, I'm much more impressed by the yodeling bit than I was by the, the dialogue, which is pretty cheesy. Oh, totally cheesy. There's another sketch that was too brief to even clip uh, about horse racing and the guy falls down. Um, the sketch is That's even more brief. That's entirely visual. Yeah. Yep. The sketch is even more brief than the Statler and Waldorf clip that follows it. Okay, partner. I want to see you dance. Oh. Now dance. Oh. Oh. Dance. Dance. Oh. That's beautiful. Do you think I can dance like that? Well, of course. Oh, oh, my foot. <laughs> so Waldorf lifts his arms above his head and twirls around. It's very bizarre, but it's kind of sweet. And then he literally shoots Statler in the foot. So this is a pretty common trope from from Westerns, uh, which I know from Bugs Bunny cartoons, uh, where the bad guy or the, the black hat, if you will, uh, <laughs> would shoot. At, you would say, I want to see you dance. Uh, not literally. <laughs> and uh, and shoot at somebody's feet. And they would, you know, jump around or dance to avoid getting shot in the foot. And so, you know, the joke is that Waldorf is doing ballet. And then that Statler is an idiot who doesn't dodge and get shot in the foot. Or they're, you know, both old men. and It's hard to dodge bullets, even if you're young and agile. Sure. Um, I think also, like, it's possible that that when this happened in a Western, uh, I am not an expert, uh, like, the point was not to actually hit anybody, but just to scare them. Um, but Statler gets shot in the foot. Yeah, I mean, my point of reference is also The Simpsons for this, so yeah, I don't yeah, actually also. know how it looks in Westerns. Anyway, let's talk about the very end of the show. Uh, Kermit asks Roy Rogers to say goodnight. Kermit, we've had a wonderful time. Oh, I'm glad. Listen, Roy, at this point, I usually say goodnight to everybody, but tonight I'd appreciate it if you said it your way. Well, I'd be glad to, Kermit. Until we meet again on the screen or in person, goodbye, good luck, and may the good Lord take a liking to you. So my thought here was, this is very sweet, and also I'm finding it a bit startling to hear God just so casually invoked on primetime television. And my next thought was, I guess God was more popular in the 70s, or at least praying for one's audience on television was more mainstream. Still felt a little jarring. Yeah, but this is a little folksier and more casual. I mean, like, I, I hear what you're saying, but like, it, it washed over me. And maybe that's, you know. Oh, having, sure. And it's so folksy that south. it doesn't register as <laughs> prayer. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're folksy enough, then you don't hear it as necessarily even a God thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, t I tend to to fully tense up at that kind of thing too. And there's something so sweet about it that I, I barely notice the God part, like, because it's, it's putting it on God, not on you. Right. Like may the good Lord take a liking to you. It's like, like we, what you do doesn't matter. Right. It's like, there's something sort of lovely. Like it's, it's like a lovely sentiment that I, uh, that like didn't even, exactly. didn't bug me at all. Right. It's like, I can do whatever I want. <laughs> Hope he likes it. <laughs> I don't know. There's something about it that if I'm very sweet and like very non-judgy. Yeah, yeah, it's not that. like, you know, wash your nose and say your prayers. 
Don't know why I said nose. (laughs) (laughs) Wash your teeth, brush your face. Yeah. Comb your fur. (laughs) May the good Lord take a a liking to you in whatever state you happen to be in. Yeah. Anyway, it's probably obvious from the way that Kermit prompted it, but this was how Roy and Dale ended their own TV show, and I think their radio show as well, for many years. So it's not... I think this is as much like a catchphrase as it is a prayer. Sure. Yeah, and, and I, I do think this is much more I expected that. Time. Yeah. Might be something about the may the good Lord take a liking to you that <laughs> just felt in in my mind, it felt formulaically similar to priestly benediction, but that's a me problem. Yeah, I mean, it's not it's not, not religious. Like, I'm not, you know. <laughs> and also with y'all. Yeah. And all. <laughs> <laughs> but, like I'm just, I'm I'm more expressing surprise that I didn't have the same reaction you did than I am defending it. Uh, but I'm, I'm yeah. Sort of tr- I'm trying to unpack why it didn't bother me, and I think that's and why. I and I fully understood as I was experiencing it that this is probably a catchphrase, and that his audience was probably used to hearing it, and had heard it so many times that the god of it doesn't even register anymore. All that said, it's very sweet. They seem very sincere. They've adopted a baby and muppy. Yeah. They're doing their part. Moo. No. Boo. Boo. Thanks for listening to this episode of Muppeturgy. Join us in two weeks as we go medieval on the Lynn Redgrave episode of The Muppet Show. You can find us on whatever social media still exists at Muppeturgy or on the web at Muppeturgy.com. Buy merch. You can find that at Muppeturgy.com slash store. Our theme music was composed and performed by Christy Bauer. Our show logo was created by Todd Brian Backus. And this episode was edited by me, David Levy. We don't have final thoughts, do we? No. No. Oh, I'm thought it out. Good. Yeah, I was thought it out when we started. Hang on to your puppet holes.